1: To find out if it's right for you,
2: we were briefed at dusk, the air thick with anticipation and the weight of the task ahead. I'm Joe, but in the field they call me the Giant, a nickname I earned uh, not just from my size but from my past life as an MA fighter. Now, leading a squad of six elite Navy SEALs, our mission was clear raid a notorious drug lord's mankin nestled in the hills of Rio, Brazil. Intelligence had it that this was more than just a drug operation. There was something else, something we weren't prepared for. The approach was textbook. Silent under the cover of night, our steps laid against the backdrop of Rio's sleeping beauty. We breached the perimeter, expecting resistance that never came. It was too easy, unsettlingly so. The mansion loomed ahead, a fortress of sin and shadows. As we cleared room by room, the absence of guards was a red flag we couldn't ignore. Then we heard it, a sound that didn't belong in the realm of human affairs, a low guttural growling that seemed to echo from the very walls of the mansion. That's when he appeared, the drug lord, his eyes wide with a mix of fear and madness. Before we could apprehend him, He smashed a hidden button and fled, leaving us with his final words. Deal with this if you can. The ground shook as if in warning, and from the depths of the mansion it emerged, a creature towering, its limbs elongated, cloaked in fur but with eyes that gleamed with a predatory intelligence. Razor-sharp claws and teeth glinted in the dim light, a grotesque parody of a sloth if such a creature had been twisted by a madman's science and set loose from the depths of a bi-lab nightmare. The team formed up, weapons trained on the monstrosity that now blocked our path to the fleeing drug lord. The creature moved with a terrifying agility, its claws slashing through the air, rending steel and flesh alike. We fought back, bullets tearing through its hide, but it was like trying to hold back a tide with a sieve. The creature seemed impervious, and for every step we took forward, it forced us two steps back. In a chaos, I saw the resolve in my team's eyes. A silent agreement that retreat was not an option, not until the beast forced our hand. It was a dance of death, a battle we were not equipped to win. The realization hit us hard. The drug lord had escaped, and we were fighting a battle against an opponent we didn't understand, for a mission that had spiraled out of control. The call to retreat was mine, and it was the hardest order I've ever given. We broke contact, using our last smoke grenades to cover our withdrawal. The creature's roars of frustration a haunting farewell as we made our way back to the extraction point. As the chopper lifted us away from that cursed mansion, the adrenaline that had sustained us began to ebb, replaced by a profound silence. We sat there, weapons down, minds racing, trying to comprehend the nature of the beast we had just encountered. The air hung heavy with a sense of foreboding as our special forces unit descended upon the abandoned asylum in rural Kentucky. The place had a dark history and rumors swirled about the unspeakable horrors that had occurred within its decaying walls. Our mission was to find a man working for the Secret Service who had been kidnapped by a local nationalistic gang. We knew this wouldn't be a routine operation but none of us could have anticipated just how harrowing it would become. As we approached the asylum, the eerie silence of the surrounding woods amplified our apprehension. The moon cast long, sinister shadows that seemed to dance in time with our racing hearts. We were professionals trained to handle the worst of situations, but there was something undeniably sinister about this place. Our point man signaled for us to halt crouching low as he surveyed the perimeter. Suddenly a gunshot pierced the night, followed by a barrage of return fire. The gang had caught wind of our approach, and the shootout began in earnest. Bullets whizzed past us, and we quickly took cover behind trees and rocks. The crackling of gunfire filled the air as we encircled the asylum, trading shots with the gang members who defended their hideout. We knew we had to break inside to rescue our captive, but it wouldn't be easy. The gang was well armed and determined. With a coordinated assault, we breached the asylum's entrance. Chaos ensued as we moved through the dimly lit, decrepit hallways, taking down some of the gang members while others escaped deeper into the building. It was a gruesome battle with no shortage of close calls, but we pushed forward, driven by our determination to complete the mission, As we progressed deeper into the asylum's bowels, we encountered a series of locked doors, each one more forbidding than the last. It was during this tense search that I stumbled upon something that defied reason and sent chills down my spine. In the basement, hidden behind a rusted steel door, I found a room unlike any other. The air grew colder as I approached it, and a sense of dread washed over me. My heart pounded as I slowly turned the handle and pushed the door open. What I beheld within that room will haunt me for the rest of my days. It was about eight or nine feet tall, a shadowy figure that defied comprehension. It had two long spindly legs, arms even longer, that reached the ground, a round body and a neck that seemed impossibly thin. But the most unsettling aspect was its complete lack of a face. There was nothing there, just an abyss of darkness where a visage should have been. Before I could react, the creature lunged at me with unnatural speed and strength. I stumbled backward, my heart racing as it passed through the window, shattering the glass. I watched in shock as it disappeared into the night, leaving behind only shattered glass in my own shattered sense of reality. I rushed to follow the creature, my instincts driving me forward despite the overwhelming fear that gripped me, but it was as if the thing had vanished into thin air, leaving no trace of its presence. I returned to my unit, shaken and breathless, to recount what I had seen. I described the creature in vivid detail, but my comrades exchanged skeptical glances. They didn't believe me, and I couldn't blame them. The asylum had been a nightmarish place, In our firefight with the gang had been harrowing enough without adding tales of faceless monsters into the mix. As we completed our mission and rescued the kidnapped man, the memory of that creature lingered in the back of my mind. I knew what I'd seen even if no one else believed me. It was a reminder that sometimes the horrors that lurk in the shadows are all too real, even in the world of the elite special forces. This happened at my childhood home in Connecticut when I was 8 or 9 in November of 2010. It was like 6 p.m., and I was getting ready for bed, and my parents were across the hall folding laundry and stuff like that. As I was getting my pajamas on, I glanced up at the skylight above my bed, and as I did, two hoofed legs smacked against the skylight, and my heart dropped like I had a instinctual feeling to be scared of whatever it was, and I'll never forget the noise it made when it hit the window. That's how I know. My mind wasn't playing tricks on me. The legs also had no fur or skin, just muscle and veins. It also looked like whatever it was tried to climb up onto the roof, but could only get its legs up before moving away. I ran into my parents' room crying and trying to tell them without sounding like a paranoid little kid. Of course, they didn't believe me. After that, I refused to sleep in the room and I slept on the couch up until my parents divorced and I moved out of the house. Still creeps me out to this day. An and I went glamping in Santa Barbara a few years back and had planned to watch the meteor shower up a mountain above the trees with unobstructed views. So we took some wine and blankets to my car around midnight and drove up this super long trail before we planned to get out and hike up. As we reached the top where we were to leave the car, something just felt strange. Nevertheless, we hiked up and found a spot, but after not long, I could hear something in the distance, and we were sitting in darkness. I didn't like it, so I suggested we go back to the car and find a spot along the driveway that has a good view. We get back to the car and lay the blankets on the hood and lie on the top of the car, a world, watching the airplanes. And suddenly I hear a noise again, no less than 15 if in front of us are cat eyes that little reflective twinkle. I slipped through the open car window and turned on my headlights, and there was a mountain lion standing right there in front of us. My ex gets back into the car, too. We pull the blankets inside and watch the lion walk off to the side of the road. I drive maybe 200 feet further down the trail and suggest we watch through the sunroof. Our windshield, and as we are, the mountain lion turns up once again. We decided to leave back to the base and to our cabin. Strangely, the parking spot I had my car in under a tree for morning shade was now taken, and so I parked elsewhere. In the morning the rangers had put up mountain lion present warnings and a massive branch from the tree that my car was initially under had broken off in the middle of the night and smashed straight through the other car's windshield. Just a weird night. My friends and I were very into spooky adventures. It was a hobby that originated in our high school years. We started playing with an Ouija board at some cemetery at night, and like addicts looking for a bigger high, we moved on to exploring abandoned buildings that were supposedly haunted. With the exception of a very unsettling atmosphere at most places, we were never in any real danger. That is, until our last adventure... It had been some time since we had the chance to go on any adventure. Once we graduated from high school, some of us moved away for college, others started families, and others simply fell off the face of the earth. A while back, I was contacted by my best friend in high school, and after catching up, he proposed a trip to a national park. Usually, this sort of trip would actually be a nice outdoor experience with friends, but Mike had specifically picked the national park for a reason, the disproportionate number of people that go missing there a year. This tidbit of information immediately made me pause. We were all, in a way, adrenaline junkies, always looking for that next scare. The difference this time was that we weren't going to explore an abandoned building or play in a graveyard. We were going to visit a place where real people go missing and are never heard from again. Mike, being the silver tongue devil as always, managed to convince me that we would be safe camping at the park and that a handful of our group had vast experience in the outdoors. Even though I should made the sane decision of hanging up the phone and going back to my daily mundane life, I was out on the road two days later and was meeting up with my friends at the park visitors center. The first thing I noticed was the immense beauty of the park. We had not even begun to explore the area, and it was already one of the most breathtaking places I'd ever laid eyes on. The second thing I noticed was the bulletin board next to the parking lot. It was overflowing with missing person posters. While we had begun to unload all our camping equipment, a park ranger came out of the visitor center's office. He looked tired, like he had not gotten a minute of sleep in the past week, but was trying hard to fake a friendly demeanor. "'Hello, everyone. What brings you to our park?' he said in a tired voice. Mike engaged him in conversation. "'We're just here for a camping weekend, sir.' The park ranger looked saddened at the words coming out of Mike's mouth. "'Yeah, it looks that way.' Listen, you folk don't look like the misinformed kind, and I know you've seen our bulletin boards. People have a tendency to go missing in this park, and we are very short on staff, being I'm the only one on shift. If you insist on camping in this area, don't go too deep into the woods and stay on the paths. If you get lost out here, well, we don't have a good track record of finding nice folk like you. The park ranger didn't really stick around waiting for our reply. He went about his day and we just went about ours. Our group composed of six people, three men and three women, walked for a few miles looking for a good camping spot within the woods. I was initially against being so far away from our vehicles until Mike and one of his friends, Alex, pulled out hunting rifles from their bags. If there was anything dangerous in these woods, we would be surely safe, I thought. After a long walk, we found a spot that was perfect for our campsite, and we began setting our tents up. By nightfall, we had multiple tents around a campfire, and we began drinking a few beers and reminiscing about our old high school adventures. Around midnight, Mike had a terrible idea that he had joyfully proposed to the rest of us we should try and find some of those missing people out here. Some of them would just be bones by now. Nobody was drunk enough to go exploring the dark woods in search of ghosts, with the exception of Mike and his friend Alex. When the rest of our group inevitably rejected his proposal, he took his hunting rifle, his friend and Brenda, the woman he was dating and drunkenly set off for a scary adventure in the woods. As they left and we could no longer hear their steps in the woods, I remembered the park ranger's warning stay on the paths, which they most definitely did not do. My worries were validated hours later when they had not returned to the campsite. We tried reaching them on their phones, but we had no service this deep into the woods. After some debate, we decided to head back to the visitor center and get help from the park ranger regardless of his previous warnings we would have a better chance at finding our friends with his help and not go blindly searching in the woods and inevitably get lost as well we only took what was necessary with us some flashlights and the other hunting rifle alex left at the camp about 30 minutes into walking back to the visitor center we noticed something unsettling all the wildlife around us seemed to go dead quiet it seemed like our footsteps echoed throughout the woods for miles From my very limited experience in nature, I could remember that when the woods went quiet, a predator was nearby. Just when I was about to consider the sinister thought, a scream broke the silence. Help! It sounded like Mike was crying out somewhere not too far from us. Help me! We started to follow the screams for help, which led us further and further away from the path. A few dozen feet deeper into the woods, we found a flickering flashlight that had been cracked and barely functioning. A few feet in front of us, we could hear Mike. Help me. Mike sounded weaker this time, but something was off. His voice sounded wrong this time, like someone was trying to imitate how a human spoke and Mike's voice at the same time. Mike, are you hurt, buddy? I said, concerned, but not moving an inch forward until I got a reply. Yes, come. Help, Mike said, maybe 20 feet in front of us. He looked like he was on his knees. "'Where are Alex and Brenda?' I asked while signaling Josh to ready the rifle he was carrying. "'There! Here! We! Found them!' I pointed my flashlight towards Mike. His body was on his knees. His head was slumped forward, and his shirt was covered in dirt and bathed in blood. I no knew that whatever was talking to us, only a few feet in front of us, was not Mike. He had been dead for hours. They were so damn tasty.' the voice stopped trying to imitate Mike. Mike's head raised up to where we could see his lifeless eyes rolled to the back of his head, and somehow his dislocated jaw was moving by itself, like some sort of demonic ventriloquist and dummy show. Something large and grotesque emerged from behind Mike's corpse. It had one of its inhuman hands lodged into the back of Mike's skull, using him as a puppet, It wasted no time to drop on all fours and rush towards us. Josh fired a shot at it and missed. Before our reflexes could kick in, it had crashed into us, throwing Amber and I in different directions, but making sure it got Josh first, as he was the biggest threat with a weapon. I landed a few feet from Amber, who had landed badly and broken her leg. I got her up and we shuffled as fast as Amber could go while the creature ripped chunks off Josh. We made it maybe fifty meters before we were knocked to the ground, and Amber was pulled away into the dark woods, screaming all the way. I got to my feet again and sprinted faster and further than I had ever gone before. I stopped hearing Amber's wails of pain and knew that thing would catch up to me, in a matter of moments, no matter how fast the surge of adrenaline would make me run. I fell in the darkness longer than I should. There must have been some sort of cliff I failed to see. I landed on something hard and soft at the same time. I couldn't see a thing after I dropped my flashlight. I could only smell the terrible putrid stench of death all around me. I could hear dozens of flies buzzing around me, and it made me froze in terror. As my vision focused in the darkness, I could see the hundreds of bodies around me. I had fallen into a mass grave. None of the corpses were complete from what I could tell, and... Some of them I recognized. Amber and Alex were among the piles of dead and one particular body I could recognize as the park ranger that we had met in the morning. I had to swallow my scream as a couple more bodies were thrown into the pile. The creature was actively looking through the pile for any signs of me. I had to play dead until the creature left in defeat. I waited what felt like an eternity until the first rays of light broke through the trees. I felt sick to my stomach as I tread crawling over the dead bodies and out of the pit. I cried for my friends and cried some more when my foot got stuck in one of the bodies. It was Mike and my foot had gone through where his stomach used to be. Eventually, I crawled out of the mass grave and found my way back to the path we originally used to get to our campsite. A few hours of walking and I reached the visitor center where our vehicles awaited our return. I got into my car and fell into a catatonic state for a few minutes. After I snapped out of it, I drove away as the feeling of still being watched was too overwhelming, as I did a saw a car driving towards the visitor center. A man, a woman, and two young children in the back seat. I wish I could say that I stopped and warned them of the impending doom that awaited them, but I drove. I didn't look back. About two weeks ago, me and my two friends were bored around 2 a.m. and decided to go walk to the park in my neighborhood. It's a pretty small park with one playground, but it has a gully that leads to a walking path near a stream that leads all the way up the canyons and the mountains. I live in northern Utah. I've been to this park a lot since I was little, and I've already had a couple experiences in the past there that seemed not human. We got to the park and it was completely dark, the lights that usually turn on at night at the park we're off. Or maybe it was just late enough that they turned off, but still it was like pitch black. We entered the side of the park where the playground is and kind of just walked around for a minute and sat on the swings. Then my friends convinced me to walk into the gully with them. I was already terrified to walk in that gully in the daylight, so we're walking down the path and we're having to use our phone flashlights like in a legit horror movie since we cannot see almost anything in front of us. My friends were laughing mostly and felt fine, but I already was really anxious and so we kept walking around and they kept trying to convince me it was fine, but I was genuinely really scared and felt like I was being watched up until we got out of the gully. My boyfriend didn't want to scare me at the time, but he said that He also felt like he was being watched in the gully and had goosebumps. When we got out of the gully, we went back to the playground just to sit down and relax for a moment. When we sat down, we began to talk about how we felt a bit uneasy down in the gully and just talking about the normal things we talk about. All of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, about 20 feet away, I see something that seems about the size of like a large cat or goose. I don't know. Oh, and it is slowly walking at a diagonal angle, kinda, towards us, but with really pronounced and long steps, kind of like something hunting its prey, but it seemed like it only had two legs. So I pointed it out to my friends and turned on my phone flashlight in the area it was and literally a pair of orange eyes, like when animal gets a light flashed in their eyes— was staring right at us, so I got up and we all kind of freaked out and ran more. So we ran to the end of the parking lot before my boyfriend went closer again with his flashlight on and said he saw something crawling on all fours towards us. So we booked it home, but felt like we were being watched the whole time. I know it could have been an animal, but I have absolutely no idea what it was. It looked white and at first seemed to have two legs and was walking slowly and pronounced. Then my boyfriend said it was crawling on all fours towards him after we ran the first time. Any thoughts? It was 1978, about 20 miles west of Denver in Golden, Colorado. This was right before my family moved to Montana. I and a buddy of mine were 16 years old at the time. What we did was we kind of snuck out of the house at night, you know. This was on Lookout Mountain Road. We come out around the corner and there's a recreation area on the right side. They have company picnics in there, a baseball diamond, picnic tables, etc. There was this tall creature standing near the pitcher's mound beating a large dog with a stick. This thing was at least eight feet tall, and it wasn't human. I could tell that right away. Yeah, it was a Bigfoot. The dog was either unconscious or dead. Right across the street is the nature center, and there's a big stone gate. And there's a very strong Chinook wind blowing. We get behind the gate, and we're watching this scene. It's got the dog by the tail, and it's beating this dog on the head. It had the dog in its left hand and the stick in the right. Holding it out, you know. I turned to my friend and I whispered. I forget what I whispered. I think I said. Can you believe this? This thing turned its head towards us like it heard me whisper. We had to be at least a hundred yards away from it. Maybe the heavy wind allowed my voice to carry. We were downwind from it. It suddenly took off running and must have covered two hundred yards in five seconds or so. After several minutes, we walked over to the dog. By that time, the poor thing was mangled and dead. About an hour later, after retrieving a shovel, we buried the dog in the woods. There was no collar or identification on it. I have no idea why Bigfoot was beating the dog. After all these years, my friend and I still talk about the incident, This happened when I, 23 female, was 13. It was 2013 or 14 at the time I was attending a middle school in my hometown in Utah and worked after school in something they called the peer leadership program. We were working on an anti-bullying campaign for the school spirit week, and I was charged with making the banner. At the time, I had set up in the hallway, the layout, very important, ...of the hallway I was in was on the second floor. Directly in front of me was the staircase that lead to the first floor... ...in what we called the catacombs of the school. Below the school is a bunch of tunnels that network all around the little town. There were many rumors about why, but the thing the teachers told us was... ...they were dug during the Cold War. I should also add that there had been a bunch of weird things to happen at the entrance. It was always locked during school hours but there had been reports going around about wet human hair being found in the basement right outside of the door, knocking coming from the other side and screaming that happened at night, according to one custodian from inside the catacombs. Directly to the right of the staircase was a dead-end hallway. There was only three classrooms on each side of the T-shaped hall, and they were all remedial-type classes, so extremely small. It was about four, 30 at the time, and most of the teachers had already gone home. The only people in the hallway were myself and two other girls who were in the T-shaped hall working on posters. I was more of a recluse, especially when I worked, so I didn't really want to sit with anyone or anyone seeing my banner until it was done. I was in the middle of painting this giant beast of a banner when I heard a giggle, so I looked up towards the stairs just in time to see a little girl with blonde hair run around the corner into the hallway. She couldn't have been more than ten. For some reason, it gave me a very uneasy feeling watching her. So for a couple of seconds, I just stared into the hallway. That's when she peeked her head back out and darted right back, almost like she didn't want me to see her. It took everything in me to make myself stand up and walk around the corner to see who or what she was, but when the hallway came fully into view, I just saw my fellow students extremely focused on drawing their respective posters. Neither of them had blonde hair. No little girl was with them. Did you see a girl come around this corner? I remember asking, and one of the girls said, well, yeah, you did, and laughed. I proceeded to explain what I had seen. They were both adamant that no one had come into the hallway before I did, just in case I went around checking all the doors, and they were all locked tight. I was freaking out, and I could tell that it was freaking them out, so we all decided to just call it a day and go home after that, posters and banner be damned. I still don't know what it was. I want to say it was a ghost, but she looked too. Real for that like I could actually reach out and touch her. That, and I've had my fair share of hauntings at home in my own house, stories for another day, so the fact that the spirit of a little girl would make my hair stand on end and my heart drop was extremely weird to me. Does anyone know what this could be? Could it be connected to the wet hair that was found years prior? Why couldn't anyone else see her? Why was I filled with immense dread when she ran by? On Friday night in late August, several people called the sheriff's office, claiming they had heard a large explosion. One call came in from the five-mile corner store gas station, and the other was from a payphone near the same area. The police were dispatched to the area, and after a brief search, they located a small glowing fire and billowing smoke. They followed it to an isolated area on Priest Street, where they found an overturned car on fire. The car was entirely engulfed in flames. An approach was made for rescue, but no one was seen inside the fire. Eventually, the fire was put out, though the car was burned to the bone. The area was cordoned off while the deputies investigated. Eventually, the car was identified as belonging to a man from South Bend, Indiana, who told the police that his brother had borrowed it. Shortly afterward, the police were notified by a local, Madrid Whitney, that two teenagers were in her house after being in an accident. The police interviewed the couple, Roy Townsend and Jay Arndt, both from Hillsdale, who were both in shock. They eventually indicated that they had been sitting in their car for some private time when something attacked it. They indicated that the auto was pushed forward and then flipped over. They claimed that something began smashing the vehicle, Mr. Townsend stated that at first, they had been hit by another car, but couldn't understand when it appeared to be a thing. Townsend claimed that it was like a bear, but looked like a giant man, and began smashing the car. Miss Arndt indicated that Townsend...
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: Initially took off running and left her there, but then found her later as she ran along the road back toward the highway. She indicated that she was still very angry with him, but even more scared that this thing would catch up to them. They stumbled upon the random house of Whitney Moore, who was very accommodating. At first, the police were skeptical and believed that the teenagers were attempting to cover up for wrecking the car. However, one of the multi-jurisdictional officers, Gurley Jones, at the scene noticed that the tire drag marks ended at a point just over the lip of the hill. Upon further inspection, officer jones documented several important things first the skid marks continued over the hill indicating that the car's wheels were locked and the car was moving at a constantly slow rate of speed as it came to rest on a small knoll secondly the tread marks were clear and articulated at the pivot point where the car flipped indicating it had been lifted rather than suddenly going airborne Third, if the car had flipped over as a result of losing control at a high rate of speed, it would have gone airborne at the peak of the hill rather than after descent down the slight incline. At the time, the other officers ridiculed Jones, and his immediate supervisor rendered his observation as irrelevant, stating that it would not change the outcome of things. Townsend and Orant did not sustain any remarkable physical injuries, but their parting was not amicable. Officer Jones indicated that the next day, in the light of the sun, he searched the area. He noted in his report that the brush and grass leading to the woods and lake had been obviously disturbed by something. He also indicated that he found no footprints, but added that the soil was dense with crabgrass or stone to the waterline, making it unlikely for any footprints to be left behind. So this happened to me in 1978, or 1979, I was kindergarten or first grade at the time, in Centennial Park in Sydney. I was at a fifth birthday party coming back from the cinema, the theatrical cut of the Spider-Man TV series at Bundy Junction Plaza, and in the back of a station wagon with another friend whilst the other kids were in the back seat, and we were all being driven to the bicycle course. As we rounded a clearing, that was obscured by trees. I've included the two locations where I think this was. I was too young at the time to know exactly which part of the park I was in. I saw something that was just plain odd. What I saw initially was a very cartoonish-looking wooden hut, very cubical, probably about 2.5 meters times 2.5 times. with a triangular roof and a large window on the side. On the inside of the window, it looked like it was on fire. It just seemed almost cartoonish or childish in design. As we continued down the road, I could then see the back of a hooded Franciscan monk-like figure walking out of this hut carrying a triangular formation of stacked logs in his arms to another pile of logs also stacked in a triangular arrangement. As the perspective shifted, I could now see that the monk-like figure had the face of what looked like a gorilla, and huge bright yellow eyes. I could also now see inside the hut, and it looked black, but can't remember if there was fire, or not, but I did think at the time it seems a rather small house to live in. This hut struck me as odd, because Centennial Park is not a forest, it's in the heart of the city, nor are there caretaker huts or anything like that, which was what I thought it may have been. The whole idea of a shack in the woods in Centennial Park is equivalent to seeing an oasis at the beach. It's very out of place. I motioned to my friend next to me, hey, what's that? And he didn't understand what I was gesturing at. He didn't or couldn't see anything I was talking about. Also, even if it was, a caretaker hut. I doubt caretakers look like hooded gorillas. It's annoyed me that no one else saw what I saw or that kids can be so stupid they don't recognize something slightly anomalous when they see it. But the whole thing was real to me and I could see it from different angles as we traveled past it which took about ten seconds. No one else in the car noticed it either. I don't remember getting overly alarmed or excited nor do I remember asking the other friends if they saw it after my friend denied seeing it. This incident has been etched into my brain for over 45 years, and I've mentioned this story in two places on the internet over the last 20 years, but never got any response. In particular, I found a post discussing the hooded beings and something with a triangular motif. Fortian Times or Mysterious Universe Forums, and so I think that there may be some connection to it. At the time this happened, I lived near St. Louis, Missouri with my daughter and my husband. My daughter, her friend, and I had gone to a local mall to do some shopping before school started. We were walking out of one of the stores, and there were some people walking in at the same time. I happened to glance up and notice one of the women walking in. Her true face had shone through her human skin. It was the face of a brown horse, with the shape of the horse's head morphed under the women's long, dark hair. When she noticed that I saw her true form, she snapped her head around and stared at me as I walked away. I was telling my daughter and her friend what I saw and what was happening, but they just laughed and did not believe me. Please tell me someone else has seen something like this, and I am not the only one. I can't forget what I saw that day. I wish I could draw, but I can't please, please someone tell me that they are seeing something like this, and it was at Chesterfield Mall in Chesterfield, Missouri in 2012. This took place in Western North Carolina in July, 2021. The weekend this happened, I headed to an area in the vicinity of the Great Smoky Mountains near Waynesville in Haywood County for a solo camping trip. At that time in my life, I needed to be alone to get away and clear my head after being cooped up for the last two years or so. I drove there on a Friday night and had an uneventful first evening setting up camp. And then I hit the sack early. I got up about 5.30 a.m. the next morning and I didn't waste any time heading out since I wanted to beat most of the midday summer heat. All was good for a while until I was hiking up a steep trail. I was huffing and puffing. When I stopped to catch my breath I saw a dog way off in the distance. At first, it didn't even really register with me, but it was coming my way, and as it got closer, I became aware of how much larger it was than other dogs usually are, and it was moving along using only its back legs. It had grayish-brown fur, and it was massive, easily the size of a bear. I was totally confused because I realized that it was upright. I looked around to see if anybody else was on the trail, but it was just me and this thing on this mountain trail in the middle of nowhere. The fear started to set in as I began to fully understand the seriousness of this situation. I didn't know what this creature was, and I had no idea if it would attack me. Thoughts started creeping into my mind of all the things that might possibly happen, but I stood my ground and I didn't flinch, hoping that if I didn't make any movement, it would just go away. It was soon within a hundred feet of me, but then it stopped. It stared at me with its piercing eyes, and I swear it wasn't talking to me. I just knew it. I could sense my fear and confusion. This creature didn't seem angry, just curious, like the way a dog would come running up to you frantically and then just stop and look at you, and then just turn around and walk away. But it didn't retreat. "'then it left the trail and it headed out "'where I soon lost sight of it. "'At the point I smelled the odor of sulfur, "'so strong that I felt the urge to retch "'right there on the trail. "'I started to feel faint, "'so I sat down on a nearby log to catch my breath. "'As I sat there, I tried to make sense "'of what had just happened. "'I was dizzy and disoriented. "'I just kept thinking about the dog creature. "'It had just walked up to me "'and looked at me like it knew what I was thinking.' This powerfully built creature could have easily killed me, and yet it didn't even seem at all like it wanted to do that. I think it just wanted to see me up close or check me out. Even though I can't remember every second of the encounter, I still can't get it out of my head. It comes back to me in waves, like flashbacks. The entire encounter probably only lasted a minute or two, but looking back on it, I felt like it happened in slow motion, taking forever. In some ways, I even found myself doubting that it happened. I took a huge drink of water. I was skeptical of my own eyes and thought that maybe I had hallucinated the encounter due to dehydration. After that, I turned around, headed back to my campsite, fixed something to eat, and hung out a bit longer. But eventually, I decided not to stay another night, so I packed it up and headed back home. I still can't say for sure what that creature was. I know that I'm still alive to tell the tale, which means it wasn't angry. I will say that my funk ended after that incident and I have a totally different view of life. I'm John, so my team of hunters and I ventured deep into the state hunting ground. I led the group, an experienced bunch, on a mission to hunt deer and stags our rifles loaded, and our senses sharpened for the hunt. The woods were thick with towering trees that seemed to reach for the heavens. The leaves rustled in the wind as we made our way through the underbrush. The forest had always held a certain mystique for me, but I had no inkling of the dark secrets it concealed. As we pressed further into the woods, we stumbled upon something that would change the course of our hunt forever. Amidst the dense trees and overgrown vegetation, we came upon an abandoned asylum. Half wrecked and ruined, it sent a chill down our spines. It was as if the very air around us grew colder. Curiosity piqued, we cautiously approached the decrepit building. It appeared to have been abandoned for decades, its windows shattered and walls crumbling. As we ventured inside, our flashlights illuminated the eerie interior. Broken furniture lay strewn about, and the walls were covered in layers of decay. But it was the cages that caught our attention. Rusty and foreboding, they lined the corridor like sinister sentinels. My heart sank It. I realized that someone or something had been held captive here. The question that gnawed at our minds was why. What kind of creatures or cryptids had been kept in these cages... We pressed on, deeper into the asylum's labyrinthine passages, our unease growing with every step. The evidence of a secret laboratory hidden within the facility became increasingly apparent. Strange machines and scientific equipment lay in disarray while cryptic notes and diagrams littered the floor. Then in the dim glow of our flashlights, it appeared before us. An unknown cryptid, unlike anything we had ever seen, it stood tall and menacing, its emaciated form covered in matted grayish fur. Its eyes glowed an eerie shade of green, seemingly devoid of any emotion. But what struck us most were the grotesque deer antlers that sprouted from its skull and its animal-like teeth. I raised my hunting rifle and the others followed suit. Stop! I shouted, our voices echoing through the decaying asylum. The creature, this wendigo-like being, screeched, an unearthly sound that sent shivers down our spines, and then, in a terrifying blur of movement, it lunged at us. The impact knocked us off our feet, sending us sprawling across the dirty, cracked tiles of the asylum floor. The creature was upon us, its breath foul and rancid as it gnashed its teeth inches from my face. We fought desperately to push it away, but it was unnaturally strong. Then, out of sudden, the Wendigo managed to break free from our grasp, and with another blood-curdling screech, it vanished into the darkness of the asylum, leaving us in stunned silence. As we slowly rose to our feet, battered and bruised, we exchanged wide-eyed glances, unable to comprehend the reality of what we had just witnessed. Breathing heavily, we contemplated our next move, Should we report this sighting to the authorities or keep it a secret, knowing that no one would believe us? What do you think? I was part of a military patrol convoy en route through eastern Tennessee on a routine training regiment when we came across some weird cries going throughout the wilderness. To be honest, it sounded like an animal of some kind that was being tortured to death. Its cries were horrendous. Now, I am far from a macho tough guy, but there's no way I'm leaving an animal suffering in pain for who knows how long. If it's humanly possible to put the poor thing out of its misery, I took it upon myself to investigate. I talked with one of my squad mates about our options on the best way to get close enough to see what was going on without spooking whatever might have made these noises or catching any hostile attention. He agreed that keeping low and sticking as close as possible would be the smartest approach, since whoever or whatever was making these noises wasn't exactly close to the road we were patrolling. I was kind of surprised at how deep into the forest we'd come, but orders were orders, and there was a mission to accomplish. Nobody wanted to do it any more than me, although none of us especially enjoyed being soldiers. Anyway, it should have been no surprise that somebody raised their hand to volunteer for what I knew would be a crappy job by anybody's standards. The other soldier who volunteered with me was tough as nails, as well as being utterly fearless under fire, as you can expect from an ex-marine. We made our way toward where those awful sounds seemed to be coming from until the sobbing began. Now things went from bad to worse, as we felt like we were being watched in conjunction with all those noises. We never found a trace of the noises, but they kept persistently going on throughout the entire route of the convoy, like they moved along with the vehicle, which was a pretty unsettling feeling altogether. At some points during the travels, the screams were turned into this wailing, as if it was a woman being murdered, while other times it would turn into the sound of a screaming cat or even a goat or a rabbit, like it was about to die various animal noises it would change and go back and forth into. I don't know. I'm beginning to think that this wasn't an animal, that it was something trying to lure us out of the convoy. I've told this story to a few friends of mine, and while most of them are creeped out, some of them have their own speculations. Like one of my other friends, he's a full blooded Cherokee. He believes that what we had encountered that night was a skinwalker who was following us. I had to actually learn what a skinwalker is, and I'm not sure if skinwalkers are specific to Navajo culture or not, but either way, they're these beings who can shape, shift, and I'm thinking that's exactly what was happening that night. We were being followed by a witch that, for whatever reason, wanted us to leave the safety confines of our convoy and venture out just far enough by luring us with these cries of an animal before he or she could get us. Now, what their intentions were with us, I'm not sure, but it was very unsettling. Even making it 100 or so yards off the convoy, things felt dangerous, like we should retreat back to our safety zone and even when we did, we didn't make it very far. We've done this route several times, and this is the one and only time I've ever heard these noises. This is also the one and only time I've heard of these noises following us for the amount of miles it did, which is very disturbing in its own right. It just reinforces the belief that this certainly was something, and not just an animal crying in pain, wanting to die. For if it was, the noises would have ceased eventually. But to follow us as many miles as it did, something was certainly wrong. Anyway, I'm writing this because I wanted to know your take on things. Could this certainly be a skinwalker or some other sort of demonic being? Or was this actually maybe just an animal crying up for help, and maybe we just mistook the sounds for the way they were carrying out and reverberating throughout the wilderness? I'm still not sure, but I'd I'd love to find out for sure. I've never posted anything on Reddit before, but I saw a lot of people had written about encounters they've experienced and wanted to share mine. This was about 11 years ago. I was 17 at the time. This also took place in Finland a little after midnight. I can't remember what month it took place, but it was dark, so it could have been in spring or winter. I also want to mention I lived in an apartment, which my room was on the third floor. My room had a huge window that had access to a roof. I was messaging a friend on Facebook when I heard what I thought was a moped driving by so of course. I ignore it. I remember feeling this fear wash over me, and the feeling wouldn't go away. I had this feeling for a couple of days before the encounter. I heard the moped again, but this time I realized it wasn't a moped. It sounded like a man's voice, but not fully human. The sound got closer and sounded like it was saying, "ah," like ghostly and chilling. I was still messaging my friend when the sound reached my window. I see out of the corner of my eye that there was a pale, faceless creature that appeared at my window, I quickly messaged my friend that I had to go. I was too scared to stay there, so I ran out of my room to my mother's room. She was mostly asleep when I told her I saw something scary at my window, so I don't think it registered with her. I crawled under her blankets and felt something tap my nose. I was too scared to look. I had other encounters, but this was the scariest and I still have no idea what it was. Ever since this encounter, my bedroom always have curtains— so I don't see what's outside. This all took place a few days ago, still unsure as to what the F was going on. Anyway, I was sat in my room playing some Xbox when I heard what sounded like a dying animal coming from outside my window. I had heard it a few times earlier that day, but this time was much louder and much more aggressive. This, of course, freaked me out, so I went outside to investigate. For context, my window leads to my backyard, which is right next to a laneway, separated only by a shitty little fence. I walk outside and head to where my window is to find my dog going buck-nutty at the fence, barking and scratching. The strange noise had stopped, but I realized that a bunch of other dogs in my street were also going crazy. I initially thought maybe some strays were fighting, and one got injured, so I stuck my head over the fence to have stuck my head over the fence to have a look, but nothing was there. I calmed my dog down and headed inside and to the front window that looks out onto my street. Man, deal, this window is quite hard to spot from the street, which makes this next bit extra freaky. The dogs in my street were all still going crazy, so I looked out the front window expecting to see some dogs chasing each other or something like that, but all that I saw was a strange looking man walking down the road. His back was turned to me and I stared for a bit, trying to analyze the situation. That's when out of nowhere he turned full 180 and made direct eye contact with me. When his eyes met mine, I shit myself and quickly ran from the window. I gathered my thoughts for a second or two and decided to look back out and see if he was still standing there. But nothing. No one. He was gone. The time between me leaving the window to me looking back to see nothing was much too short for him to have left. This whole experience left me quite shook and confused as to what I actually witnessed. Please feel free to comment your thoughts on what happened. Am I crazy or did I genuinely see something non-human? Just so you know, I'm rather unknowledgeable with this stuff, so any ideas or opinions in this event is a massive help. Thanks for reading. I would like to make it clear that this encounter was not with a ye lucii. However, it involves an indigenous medicine man who claimed to shape, shift into an animal, I share this story in this subreddit in case readers are interested in skinwalker-adjacent activities outside of the Navajo Nation. But if this is not the right place, I understand, as I do not wish to disrespect the Dine culture. When I was living in Mexico in the mid-2000s, I was enrolled in a beginner's reiki workshop. I was a teenager then very curious about spiritual practices, but also very naive. After one of our sessions, the instructor told me that a native medicine man, who was also a nahyal shape, shifter, was going to host an event in our city. I begged my mom to take me to meet this man, and she agreed. We arrived to the hotel where the event was taking place, where I was introduced to this man, who called himself Night Jaguar, He was a very normal-looking man who appeared to be in his early fifties, and he was very friendly and easy to talk to. I don't remember much of our conversation, but it involved mentioning places where medicine people and witches would gather for ceremonies. Before the conversation ended, he asked if I could provide him with my home address. In my naivete, I gave him my address, and he provided me with his email so we could keep in touch. I was thrilled with the idea of communicating and possibly learning from a Nahual or medicine man, but I never heard from him again. It seemed like that was the end of it until weeks later my dad storms into my room and tells me that he forbids me from talking to that damned nahul again. At this point I had given up on hearing from Night Jaguar, and I didn't understand why my dad would think we had been keeping in touch when we had not. I replied with okay while wondering what was that all about. A long time had gone by when my dad told me what had led to his imposed moratorium on contacting Night Jaguar. One night, shortly after meeting Night Jaguar and giving him my address, my dad woke up from a deep sleep, feeling quite disturbed. In his own words, he felt as if there was a large and dangerous animal in his bedroom. One thing to know about my dad is that he has a keen sixth sense. He can see and feel energies around him, and although he couldn't see what was in the bedroom, he could feel that it was just observing, but more disturbingly, the energy. Was especially interested in my mom, who was asleep next to my dad. Being unable to go back to sleep, my dad just got up and told whatever was there that he could feel it and that he knew what it was up to. The activity did not escalate and left soon after. Since my dad knew about my meeting with Night Jaguar, he deduced that the inaugural was the source of the energy in the bedroom. Fortunately, that energy did not return after that night. After my dad shared about his encounter, I felt immense guilt as I placed my family in potential danger by foolishly giving our address to a complete stranger, Nahal or not. My family was lucky that the nahuel left us alone after that. I have read and heard about what kind of harm a witch and or a nahuel is capable of inflicting to families for a long period of time. Some people in Mexico believe that shape, shifters can be good or evil, but after my family's encounter, I am weary of trusting anyone who claims to be capable of shape, shifting into an animal. If they are anything like ye Nile Glushi, uh, I wish to stay far away from them. If you made it to the end of the story, thank you for your time. I have been wanting to share this story for a while now. If you have any questions about this encounter, feel free to ask. I live in rural Lancaster County, Pennsylvania and about a half hour from where I work. I can get there going about five different ways. I usually take the most direct path because the other ways take me into Amish country and heavy deer traffic. Plus, it's shorter, obviously. I pulled out of my driveway, and the next thing I remember, I was pulling into a gas station in a town almost two half hours and six counties away in the opposite direction. I was literally in a town called Huntingdon, which is northwest of my home, I don't recall leaving the town where I live, driving the interstate or the sunrise that morning. I leave for work at about 5 a.m. It's still dark. The thing that creeps me out the most is the fact that, like I said, where I was. is well over 100 miles away from my house. What I want to know is how I got there in about an hour and a half. It was just after 6:30 a.m., I would have had to have driven through the heavy traffic during the morning going well over 70 or 80 miles per hour, at least, plus retain zero memory of it. That freaked me out so bad I called in and told him I wasn't going to be there for health reasons and went to see my doctor that afternoon after returning home. I told the doctor my story, though I knew he didn't believe me. I'm fairly young and Alzheimer's or dementia doesn't run in my family. The doctor did tell me I somehow hypnotized myself, which I don't understand. I brought up the incredible time I reached this destination and the towns I would have had to drive through to get there. He told me to slow down and take some time off of work, but he didn't offer or suggest any help. That was about a year ago, October 2022, and it hasn't happened since. But what really confuses me was the fact that it happened when there were several UFO sightings in the area. I even had relatives claim they saw weird lights in the sky. What are your thoughts? My story is pretty crazy. I live in San Antonio, Texas. One night in June 2020, when I heard my dogs going crazy, Three pit bulls barking a lot more than usual. So I step outside. They're looking up towards the sky. I see something flying over my house. Really big. I tripped out. I thought it was a super big owl or something, so I went inside and my dog started going crazy again. So I go outside again with my flashlight, and this time they're barking towards the dark corner of my backyard. So I'm trying to flash my light over, but I can't see anything. I hear movement something really big i tried throwing a rock over there but nothing it freaked me out finally after about 30 minutes the dog stopped barking so about a month goes by and i'm in my backyard again but during the late afternoon in my yard i just looked up gazing at what i heard a noise up above the trees i swear i saw something really big like flying by to where the wingspan on this creature had to have been at least 12 feet wide. The strange thing is that every time it flapped its wings, you could hear a whooshing sound. It was so big I could not believe my eyes. I tried to take a photo on my phone, but I could not focus on it. I went online and searched. It wasn't similar to any of the reports posted. Not a petrodactyl, mothman, or a thunderbird the wing shape was bat-like but strangely different more like a gargoyle the color of the creature was grayish almost steel blue no feathers it seemed hairless the head was small and no facial features were seen it made no sound while flying other than the whooshing when flapping the wings i recently talked to an ornithologist at the san antonio zoo but he just brushed it off as a misidentification I asked him if there was anything that big flying around South Texas. He just shrugged his shoulders and said no. I've written to several people, including a few cryptozoologists, but no one has gotten back to me. That was one of the craziest things that ever happened to me.